This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, all the fallout from the European Super League. Drama, plenty in the cricket world. Saturdays still absolutely suck for tipping. <laughs> and where does Julius Randle sit in the All-NBA team? Oh, another big one, Stewie. Let's get cracking. Stewie, as we do at the top every week, what caught your attention and what did you miss? Well, what caught my attention this week was Rob Gronkowski. (laughs) So pretty safe to say he's an exceptional tight end. He's got great hands. The greatest tight end of all time. Well, he's gone and set a world record by catching a football thrown out of a helicopter from 600 feet up. (laughs) Yeah, I saw it on Twitter. That's about 182 (laughs) metres for people who don't understand feet. That is amazing. It's like catching a boulder. Pretty much. Yeah, the velocity. And with pretty much bare hands. Just yeah. Just tiny oh, yeah. Little, yeah. Tiny little gloves they use. Yeah. I was disappointed and maybe a little bit surprised to see it wasn't Tom Brady who threw it out of the helicopter. <laughs> but uh, no. Was it anyone important? I didn't see who oh, threw it. was just a random guy. It okay. definitely wasn't Brady. I it was a you. drop rather than a throw, I would suggest. Yeah. He sort of like, <laughs> yeah, just like he was throwing, throwing a sandwich out the side, basically. But uh, no, look, amazing achievement from Gronk. And then the other thing I noticed was an incredibly amazing drought finally being broken with the Penrith Emus rugby team having a win after 2,471 days in the loser's pile. So they took out the 11-7 result against two blues. Ah, uh, the two blues. Hey, two blues. <laughs> what you going to do? <laughs> Their last win was July 19th, 2014. Wow. That was two and a half years before that reign of terror of Donald Trump came in. <laughs> So oh, suffice to say, that's a that's a, that's pretty, a long time, pretty long time. Yeah. yeah, it is. How about yourself, mate? Well, it's funny you mentioned a record. I've got one. Jared Clifford accidentally broke a marathon record for vision impaired people. He was basically running with a mate who was doing the marathon. He'd never run a marathon before in his life. He was just going to keep pace and just tap out at some point. And he just finished and ended up breaking the record for his sight class. So good on him. Broke by about two and a half minutes. Yeah, yeah, comfortably, yeah. Absolutely smashed And never run a marathon in his life. Incredible. But then I've got all sorts of stuff. Okay, so I've got a few things in American sport. Patrick Marlowe broke Gordie Howe's NHL games played record about a week ago at 1,768 and counting in a 3-2 loss to the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Marlowe was the youngest player in 76 years to debut in 1997 at less than a month past his 18th birthday. Fast forward to today where he's now 41 years old and in the midst of an incredible 902 consecutive game streak. That's phenomenal. When Ice hockey consider, is not an easy yeah, game. Yeah, the amount of contact in those, it's its amazing that something hasn't come along and a concussion even. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you look at the box scores nowadays and his time on ice is about 15 minutes a game. But, hey, he's 41. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's remarkable. In the NFL world, now the, the NFL draft's coming up soon. We won't talk about that today. But Sean Culkin, if he makes the Kansas City Chiefs squad, he's asked for his entire $900,000 salary to be converted to Bitcoin. It really is a brave new world, isn't it, Stewie? So this is on the back of Russell Okong from the Carolina Panthers, who wanted half of his salary last year to be converted into Bitcoin. And also Trevor Lawrence, the almost certain number one pick in the upcoming draft, as I mentioned, he signed an endorsement deal with a cryptocurrency investment app, and they're paying his bonus in cryptocurrency. I can kind of understand a portion of it, but that makes a little bit of sense because cryptocurrencies are volatile, very volatile. Yeah. 
if you're asking for your entire first year salary, I mean, you, you can't buy a house with Bitcoin, I assume. Yeah, I don't know a hell of a lot about it. I don't imagine it's really liquid. So I imagine it's pretty hard to turn into. He must already have savings, I guess. Reading the quotes was really interesting. He clearly knows what he's talking about. Yeah. And his old man is interested in finance. And so he's been learning about it from a young age. I mean, essentially, I guess it's just kind of like a stock. Yeah, well, that's kind of how he's treating it. Yeah, and he and he did say in his quotes like, "This is a long term play. I know it's going to go up and down, but I think in the long run, I think it'll be a good investment." So that's big. Yeah, and then finally, a couple of stories from the baseball world. The Oakland Athletics became the first team in Major League Baseball history to win eleven in a row after dropping their first six on the trot. So there's two pretty big streaks right there. But this is the really crazy one. I've saved the best for last in many ways. Fernando Tatis Jr. hit two grand slams 21 years to the day after his dad did the same thing at Dodger Stadium. Now, his dad did it twice in the same innings, as we mentioned on a previous This Week in Sport. But the likelihood of it happening for the same team in the same stadium by the son of the same guy, like the odds of that are astronomical. It's got to be Absolutely. at least three to one. Oh, it's no, I mean, how crazy. Millions and millions. Oh, like, crazy. Probably billions, to be honest. Yeah. Just nuts. Yeah, well. Absolutely nuts. What'd you miss, mate? Well, I missed the second half of the Hawthorne and Adelaide game over the weekend, which went from looking like an absolute blowout to being a one-kick game at the final siren. So I have to say, I'm absolutely spewing. I gave up on that one to do bloody housework. Yeah, we'll come back to that one too. A bit of an interesting story in that one. Mm. And what'd you miss, mate? Well, similar theme and look pretty ashamed to say, but I actually missed the Swans game. Uh, I don't think you'd be too disappointed. Yeah, to be I know. I mean, I, if I claim to be a fan and see all their games, but I stayed up till after 4 a.m. the night before, and the game was on at 10:30 Perth time. So fuck that. I'm not getting up at 10:30 to watch when I only went to bed at nearly 4:30. So I looked at the score when I woke up, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? Maybe won't watch a 40 point loss. Oh, I don't blame you. I turned the Eagles off halfway through the game because they were getting blown out. So. Yes, well, I dare say we may talk about that too. Very frustrating. Mm. So, Shui, the perils of recording once a week meant that the big news we thought was the big news we talked about last week, but of course the big news happened less than 24 hours after we talked about the big news, the bigger news. If we had a penny for every time that happened, (laughs) we would have several pennies. And if this was a drinking game and big news was a drinking point, I think you'd have a few drinks so far. I dare say we would. P.S. Big News. Mm. Yeah, so like I say, less than a day after we discussed the crazy European Super League, Sure enough, the domino started falling and all the EPL teams pulled out and now it's back to the drawing board. Hmm. What do you reckon? It's a bit of a weird one and probably a strange analogy, but it's kind of almost like renting a hotel room, taking your secretary there, and then when your wife finds out and tells you that she's going to divorce you, you go, no, 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 I wasn't actually going to do anything. (laughs) let's Let's just pretend nothing happened and go back to our marriage. Well, no, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting way of putting it. Because I know last week I got a bit over the top and I said, oh, kick him out of the league. And I didn't mean kick him out permanently. But what I meant was if they insisted on joining the ESL, then the Premier League should say, okay, you're not in the Premier League then, and kick him out of the Premier League. And I could almost guarantee they'd come back with their tails between their legs a year or two later. Didn't even get that far. No, I didn't even get two or three days later. Yeah, well, that's right. So, that's right. The, so the Chelsea and the Brighton match was delayed due to fans protesting outside Stamford Bridge. They did manage to kick it off. I think it was only 15 or 20 minutes 
after it was meant to. And then apparently the crowds, there was this massive applause in the crowd and someone assumed like something, you know, what's happened is the sound that occurs when a goal's been scored, but the news had started to filter through that Chelsea had pulled out. So Chelsea and Man City were the first to pull out and then the other dominoes fell. And some teams handled it a little bit better than others. Yeah, well, I mean, we also saw Inter and AC Milan, Atletico Madrid also pulled out within you know 24 hours of that. You've had Real Madrid, Barcelona and Juventus who have been a little bit stubborn, assuming that it's still going to go ahead. The big thing for me and the real interesting point was that Real Madrid president Florentino Perez has actually stated that those teams have binding contracts. Right. So it might not actually be as simple as them just withdrawing. Now, I did a contract law 101 unit in 2004, so I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty overqualified here, but but you did the law degree. <laughs> oh, yeah, but I'm not I'm not even going to wade into <laughs> European sports law. I, I'm not going to speak what, with they anyone. They didn't touch on that. No, unfortunately not. But the, the interesting, I, I'd like to juxtapose a couple of quotes here. So Liverpool released a statement saying, in recent days, the club has received representations from various key stakeholders, both internally and externally, and we would like to thank them for their valuable contributions. That was kind of their why we pulled out thing. It wasn't a sorry fans. Yeah, what? Yeah, so the Liverpool fans were absolutely ropeable and a lot of the ex-players and they, I mean, they have really botched this big time. Yep. And so there were so many comments all over social media about what, stakeholders? Like you didn't mention the word fans. It's stakeholders, mm. is it? And there's this kind of idea of legacy fans, i.e. fans that, you know, live in the country. But now because it's such a global game and there's so much money in places like China, they're worried about TV rights deals. So all of a sudden, these local fans that are fourth, fifth, sixth, God knows how many generations supporting are just kind of considered, you know, they're not that important. Yeah. So contrasting that, Arsenal said they were a bit more diplomatic. So they said, we need no reminding of this, but the response from supporters in recent days has given us time for further reflection and deep thought. That's better. That that at least it's better, it, but it mentions. I know it doesn't apologise, but it mentions the fans at least. To say there's no need of reminding, like yeah, like the the French and German teams saw the writing on the wall. How mm. could you EPL teams like? The tone deafness is unbelievable. And I did see the video of the Liverpool owner eventually, but it was, I think it was too little too late because even though he said all the right things in the end and he referred to your club rather than our club, so he did try to kind of put it back in the hands of the fans, I think the genie was already out of the bottle and and it was just they hate him and they will hate him until he's gone. Mm. So, yeah. It's an interesting one. I've noticed on Twitter there's a uh, an account called at longer than ESL and it, la- it lists all these things that lasted longer than the European Super League. So a couple of examples, Stewie. David Blaine in a box, 44 days. Leeds United new badge, four days. Literally an F1 weekend, three days. <laughs> this slide tackle, ages. Yeah. <laughs> and the video is close. That is the greatest slide tackle of all time. I can't remember who it was. One of the guys playing for England, but... He must have gone, what? Oh, he's gone 20 yards. An AFL umpire would have called that a mark, put it that way. Yeah. Uh, Titanic's voyage, five days. The Titanic sinking probably last <laughs> longer as well. So, yeah. Sorry to speak ill of the dead, but that well, like, yeah, legit yeah. did. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so that's funny. By the way, I mentioned the wrong Twitter account with the 100. It's actually called Oppose the 100. Oppose the 100. Boycott the 100 is the hashtag. Oppose the 100 is the Twitter follow. And speaking of great Twitter follows, there's one called Crap Crick, which is people playing basically county or grade cricket and whatever, just playing crap. Nice. So, like, blokes, you know, think of the Steve Harmison ball at the Gabba, for example, but I guess in lower legs. 
Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that's a funny follow <laughs> too. I suppose one of the other things I did want to just quickly mention, we were sort of talking about this off air. And one of the things you mentioned was that there was this $40 million bonus pool on the PGA in terms of a slush fund effectively. Yeah, yeah. Super leagues are rearing their, their heads, aren't they? Really? Yeah. So, so this was kind of a bonus pool for the top 10 golfers, regardless of how they're actually playing. It was kind of in a bid to stop them defecting to this Premier League golf. This That's was right, a, yep. an idea thrown out and funded by Saudi Arabian money to these players. The key distinction, I guess, there is the fact that these players aren't in leagues. They don't have an obligation to play in any tournaments. Yeah, it's quite different, isn't it? Yeah, they decide what events they want to be a part of. Their success and their income is determined by how well they play and how many endorsements they get, all that sort of stuff. So they're very different kettles of fish, in my opinion. Yeah, no, they are. What is kind of shit about that, though, is the fact the PGA Tour is listed as a non-profit organisation. It's pretty clear to see why, because they're spending all that money on the bloody <laughs> top 10 players. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. So, yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Mm. And then, of course, there was the uh, Super League in the 90s here in Australia with the rugby that didn't go so well. But uh, I do think that they're things that the, the world of sport needs to worry about more and more going forward. Yeah. So that's that's actually quite an interesting ploy by the PGA. But like you say, it's very different from other sports. So it's not something that can be done easily for other sports, I don't yep. think. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week takes us to the town of Logan in Utah, one of the greatest finishes to a 4 by 200 meter relay you're ever going to see. Gracie Laney was absolutely miles ahead. She had the entire home straight to herself. She'd won the race. Or so she thought. <laughs> Sport can be an absolute dog sometimes, and never has this been truer. Enter Holly, a golden noodle. Yes, that's a golden retriever poodle cross. She broke free of her owner, raced onto the track, closing in and overtaking Laney with a few metres to spare before cutting across her. Yeah, that's the bitch. <laughs> she was disqualified for leaving her lane, though. What a bitch. <laughs> So for giving us the uh, most amazing anchor leg you're ever going to see, to Holly the Gold Noodle, all I can say is, <laughs> good dog, bloody hell. Bloody hell. So, Shui, we've kind of not really spent a lot of time on cricket for quite a while, and it's become a real afterthought, hasn't it? And we talked about the Marsh Cup being an afterthought. The Sheffield Shield actually wrapped up, and we planned on talking about it last week, but this European Soccer League thing was so big that... It took up nearly half the show, so we didn't really get there. But, geez, it really fizzed out, didn't it? Queensland won convincingly. The highest score across both innings for New South Wales was just 43 to Curtis Patterson in the first innings. The highest score across both. Queensland only needed one innings to bat. Marnus had a magnificent knock, a great catch too. He played superbly well. But, yeah, I mean, do we need to say much more? Well, I was actually going to say they really only needed Marnus Labuschagne. Yeah, better. well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But, no, look, this this was obviously a, a very, very disappointing match for New South Wales with the bowling lineup. Exactly, that they had, yeah, exactly. You would have expected much better from them. Look, they bowled pretty poor lines most of the match, really, from what I saw. Nathan Lyon was bowled at the wrong time. They didn't bowl him early enough. There, there were a lot of mistakes that New South Wales could easily look back and say that they made. And they did have a lot of blokes playing in the IPL, but they still had a bloody good team on paper. Oh, they, they still did. could have very easily won that match. Yeah, you would say on paper it was fairly even. You would yeah. probably say oh, yeah, the, the batting lineup for Queensland was probably a little bit better, but you definitely think New South Wales' bowling lineup yeah, was Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, superior. it's basically the Australian lineup in some yeah. ways. But yeah. But Michael Nisa yeah, yeah. Has, has been the norm for the last real probably couple of years. Yeah. Just 
smashed them. Pfeiffer in the first innings. He, great he economy rate too. Absolutely superb. So, yep. yeah, this this was unfortunately not a great final, much like the Marsh Cup final as well. Yeah, so, yeah, that's um, true. Very disappointing, I guess, to see the two domestic finals be so average. But congratulations to Queensland and obviously Marnus Labuschagne for a man of the match performance. Yes, indeed. Yeah, hats off. Was superb. So good for him. But, yeah, I guess there's no better example of how much of an afterthought this stuff is. Is You know, the, the one of the main cricket podcasts that's out there, Cricket Etc., their last episode was the 6th of April. And then the other big one, The Great Cricketer, their last episode was the 9th of March. Wow. <laughs> so they didn't give a shit about the end of the domestic competition Jeez, at all. Okay. And, look, yeah, it is a stretched-out calendar, but there you go. That tells you everything you need to know about what the sports media world thinks about the Marsh Cup and the Sheffield Shield. It's sad, but yeah. So with that being said, there have been some new Cricket Australia contracts doled out and maybe some surprises and some disappointments, Stewie. Yeah, so I guess the first thing we should mention is with the, the COVID situation, these players are going to lose about 25 to 30% of their previous contracts. Now, they're still getting paid a very pretty penny, oh, so yes. don't feel too sorry for no, them, no. especially because a lot of them are playing in the IPL, which we will get to in just a few minutes. Mm. I guess the three main omissions that people are talking about, Travis Head, Matthew Wade, and Will Pukowski. Now, the Pukowski one definitely makes sense at this stage. The concussion issues. Exactly. He's yeah. very, very young. He's kind of got to get this concussion issue sorted out before we can really start throwing money at him and, you know, putting basically putting the weight of Australia onto his Yeah, shoulders. well, it'd be, it'd be such a shame if all that promise goes begging because of his medical issues. So we hope he'll be okay. Uh, look, I don't think it will. The big thing, I guess, as we've just said, is though he's got to go for a certain period of time and prove that he can get under that short ball, yeah. that he's not just going to let it hit him. And that's a, that's an issue. It certainly is an issue. So, yeah, that, that's probably the easy one. Matty Wade's a tough one for me. He has been... His form wasn't great. His form hasn't been great. Look, he's 33, so he's probably past his prime in that regard. He's been a really great unselfish servant of the Aussies. He's plugged himself in wherever he's been needed. He just, unfortunately, was never quite there as a test batsman. Mm. One of these guys that would consistently get to 30 and then play. Couldn't go on with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. play a a rash shot, sky one. Frustrating to watch, yeah. Very much one of these really great one-day players, but just didn't quite convert into a a test player. And never good enough with the gloves at test level to keep for mine. Mm. So, as I've said a number of times. so. But if anyone's feeling sorry for him, I had a quick look. His net worth is listed at $65 million. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not all that worried about so it. He could buy half of Tasmania with yeah, it. Yeah, I dare say he'll sleep quite well on his pile of money with his wife. So Now, Travis Head's probably the real unlucky one here for me. He's Well, he's still fairly young, isn't he? Like, I'm not a massive fan myself, but yeah. He's 27. That's that's fairly young in cricketing, that's, that's a good in age. cricketing terms. Yeah, That's yeah. a really good age. He averages just under 40 in tests. He's a pretty good fielder too. The argument, I guess, that can probably be made is that he averages less than 30 against England and India, who are the mm. two nations that we really need players to. Yeah, and it was form too. So I think some of that average was probably in the early days. I think maybe more lately his scores haven't been as good. Yeah. And I guess the other thing is if you take out the two innings that he had against Sri Lanka in Canberra, that average dips down to about 31. So what is it you always say, no? <laughs> Stats aren't everything. Yeah, I not, test. <laughs> not, they're not everything, no. Look, someone had to miss out. And it's unfortunate for these guys that they have missed out, but there's only so many contracts. Well, that's right. And there's plenty of blokes that don't have a full-time contract who still get plenty of games. So it doesn't mean that we won't see them in the colours again. Mm. 
So the IPL, that's a fascinating case at the moment. Glenn Maxwell has been absolutely superb. And I know you've got some interesting uh, stats and info there, but it's more than just what's happening on the pitch and, and the field, isn't it, Stuart? Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose we should talk about some of the cool things that have happened on the pitch because, unfortunately, the majority of it isn't that Not nice, cool, that yeah, nice. So yeah. The Royal Challengers, Bangalore, had a really great start. They did lose overnight, but they had won their first four matches. They chased down 177 against Rajasthan without losing a wicket. Wow which I thought was really impressive. Dev Padikal blasted 101 off 52 in that match. Harshal Patel had a fifer in their first game. He's six scalps clear on top of the wicket-taker's table. And look, you've got Chennai and Delhi at the top at the moment as well. They're doing brilliantly. Shikha Darwin's killing it for Delhi. He's leading the tournament in runs. Sandrew Sampson had the first turn, 119 off 63 as Rajasthan fell four short. They're trying to chase down 221 against Punjab. That was that really interesting finish, though, where Chris Morris actually tried to take a single off the second last ball and Sampson actually sent him back, said, I want to, if I'm not hitting a four this ball or we're not going to get two, I want to face the last ball. And he unfortunately got out. But yeah, there's been, a, been mm. some crazy stuff. Chennai Super Kings racked up 220 against Kolkata. They won easily despite Pat Cummins' 34 ball, 66. And we'll talk about Pat Cummins in a sec too. Well, I guess that probably leads us into the current situation though. Now, my question, I guess, is should this even be going on right now? Probably not. I was talking to a colleague the other day in Dubai who has family in India and she said that she's lost four family members in the space of a week. Two of them were in the same, uh, within an hour of one another. And they're now up to, what, I think 350,000 cases a day with nearly 3,000 deaths a day. So it's really dire. It's really bad. So I actually started writing about this three days ago. This is before some of the stars started pulling out and before Scott Morrison put in a probably well overdue ban on flights coming into Australia from India. Yeah, well, they were letting people fuck off for weddings and then come back, which Mm. is absolute madness. It is. Madness. But, yeah, you mentioned it's been documented, obviously, yeah, more than 300,000, 350,000 new cases a day. In a lot of the cities, they're running out of oxygen. If you look at, at Maharashtra, which is the state that includes Mumbai, they had nearly 67,000 new cases and 773 deaths on Sunday alone. Yeah, oh, it's uh, heartbreaking. Disturbingly, I saw some really sobering footage of a man literally sitting out the front of a hospital waiting for oxygen, just keel over and die. Yeah. Like, it's horrible. Yeah. And that same night... Chennai and Bangalore played at the Wankhead Stadium. Mm. Not even teams from Mumbai. It's two completely neutral teams. Well, that's bizarre. So going back to the question, does this need to be happening? Well, I know that last time they played it in the UAE, but the UAE is having its own problems too. So I understand how important sport is to keep the masses happy, but it's really tricky, isn't it? It's what? it's that question that we've been asking of every sport as it's restarted or or had to change on the fly. Look, this will probably lead into the Pat Cummins story quite well, but my thoughts personally are why not just abandon it and all the players donate the rest of their salaries for this towards... That'd be nice, yeah. You know, getting oxygen, getting proper masks for people, getting people that... Building help. pop-up hospitals yeah, like getting, China did. getting people the help they need. Yeah, yep. Like, we've both been to India. We understand that... Not everyone has things, and obviously the gap. Oh, it's a it's yeah. a confronting place to visit yeah. if you're from relative wealth. I mean, we're not <laughs> millionaires or anything no. like that, but compared to what we saw, it's yeah. And the gaps between the haves and the have-nots over there is oh huge. Massive. Yeah, we're in Bangalore, and and you could it was stark. So, yeah. so yeah, I mean, obviously we've seen a really great story with Pat Cummins. Yeah, by the way, that was stark with a K, not a C. With yes, but but speaking of Patty Cummins, yes, yeah, so I was on Twitter probably. 
far later than I should have been last night, working from home due to Perth lockdowns, could sleep in a little bit longer because I didn't have to drive in. But he's donated 50 grand to the PM's fund for, you know, to support. general medical health. Yeah, to support. Yeah. yeah. So he's encouraged others to do the same and wrote a very nice kind of open letter that he posted on Twitter. So uh, that everyone's picked up now, all the news organisations and stuff. So and when you consider, the, you know, the ridiculous fund, I mean, what's he getting paid? A couple of mil? Three, I think it is. Three, okay. Yeah, yeah, a lot. So yeah. 50 grand, I mean, you could almost argue is almost not enough. Oh, yeah, it's it's not. But yeah. if every single player in there donated 50 grand. Yes. We're talking millions and millions. Of oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. It, and it yeah. makes a big difference. So, yeah. yeah, look, obviously it's great that some of the players managed to get out in time, but there's a lot of Australian stars and former stars, you know, players like Ricky Ponting, who is now a coach over there. Yeah, yeah. Matty Hayden's over there doing the commentary. And Steve Waugh's often over. I don't know if he is at the moment, but he's often over there. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting one because some are choosing to leave, some are choosing to stay. There was that amazing photo of Kane Williamson and Davey Warner in, like, hazmat suits. It was like out of the movie Outbreak, well, if that's not too dated a reference. <laughs> but, yeah, it was like that's, that's what they deal with whenever they commute. So... Look, I, I'm going to say flat out, I think the rest of the tournament should have been cancelled. Probably. Right it probably should have. There's way more important things right now, and that is getting India back under control. Yeah. I mean, we know we know how important cricket is to India, though. So for morale, it's it's a really tough balancing act. It's a really... And it's what all these legs have had to to juggle this whole time in mm. the last year and a half. It's entertainment. Just let it go. Oh, look, yeah. Let it go. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. But- Hard to argue with that. So then a couple of things on the African continent as far as cricket's concerned. Heath Streak's in a bit of hot water. We won't talk about him, but that's something to look at for those interested. But we will talk about the South African cricket team because world cricket is really less without South Africa and we need them playing. So fingers crossed there's an ongoing issue that will be resolved. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a shit show right now. It seems that the crisis is kind of averted for now. So the short version of this was the South African government were exercising their right to intervene in the running of the South African Cricket Association. The problem with that is that the ICC doesn't allow governments to interfere in national cricket bodies. So basically it would have meant there was a strong possibility the Proteas would have been kicked out of all international competition. Well, that was the talk, yeah. And that would include potentially the T20 International World Cup which is scheduled at this stage for October, November in India, mm. all going well. Yep. But, yeah, look, thankfully, it wouldn't even say 11th hour because it well and truly got past the 12th hour on this one. The CSA interim board and the decision-making members council finally came to agreement on outstanding issues relating to amending the memorandum of incorporation. So basically they just got their shit together and managed to agree on some stuff. I don't think the government will need to get involved now, which is a great thing. And, look, they're not exactly the world force they were when you had the likes of Graham Smith and Jacques Callis and even Hashim Amla and A.B. De Villiers, but they're a top six nation in tests, ODIs and T20s. Oh, well, and if they're not playing at all, they can't be a powerhouse. So at least they have a chance of being a powerhouse when they're around. And if you think about what it impacts, it impacts on their touring, it impacts on their playing rights, their broadcast rights, sponsorship deals, all of that sort of stuff. And the viability of the sport then basically disappears. You get more players playing rugby, yep. potentially leaving the country and trying to, you know, get some form of citizenship somewhere else so they can actually play. Well, it would have been interesting to see if they defected to Zimbabwe and if the Zimbabwean team all of a sudden became really good. That's easier said than done. Yeah. They have to be naturalised and stuff. So Half of them could go and play for England. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's really <laughs> half their players anyway. But no, this is obviously at the moment it's looking okay, 
but we'll have to monitor this and hope that things keep going down the right path. Because as you say, the cricketing landscape without South Africa is just, it's weaker. Oh, it's not, it's not the same without it. We, we need, just like I always talk about the West Indies and how cricket's much stronger when the West Indies are strong, we need South Africa to be strong too. Come on, you blokes. You know more than just sport. So, Stewie, we haven't had a Just Not Cricket for quite some time, and that's partly because we just like talking and there's so much going on. But, geez, I, I couldn't miss this week. We've had some short lists lately. We've had the Italian hospital employee who was paid for 15 years, even though he didn't turn up to a shift in that time. There was the lady with the world's longest fingernails who finally cut them. An MRI operator who admitted to doing a line of coke with his client when they were told to empty their pockets. And then we never even talked about the Suez Canal either because everyone else did. But gee, we have to talk about this one. So this one comes from Boniathan Park in Adelaide, South Australia, where a big bird costume to the value of approximately $100,000 was stolen from the Sesame Street Circus Spectacular, (laughs) (laughs) which is funny enough as it is. So it was missing for three days and ultimately two blokes have been charged, the 26-year-old and a 22-year-old. But the best thing about this is the note that they left. So... When they returned him a few days later, they wrote a note saying, we had a great time with Mr. Bird. He's a great guy and no harm came to our friend. It's the best bit though. The Big Bird Bandits wrote, apologies for being such a big burden, (laughs) B-I-R-D-E-N. Oh, that's classic. So I don't know why a judge would need to put them behind bars because they've already served up quite the sentence. Uh, If I may say. Nicely done. (laughs) Nicely done. We don't condone crime. So to those two young men who did steal that suit, albeit in a very funny fashion, we say. I mean, do some crime if it's that funny because it helps us. (laughs) It's just not cricket. So before we get on to the AFL this week, Stewie, I just wanted to have a little bit of fallout from the AFLW after the grand final and obviously their night of nights. So co-best and fairest winner, Brianna Davey, who, of course, won the uh, award with Kiara Bowers. Uh, there's, there's been news doing the rounds, a letter she wrote to then CEO Andrew Demetrio saying that they need to allow girls to play AFL because he's wrecked their dreams. Wrecked spelled R-E-C-K-E-D. Their T-H-E-R-E. Close enough. No, it was actually really good handwriting for someone who was eight. But yeah, that was a really cute story that came out. So I thought I'd mention that. Tipping, how'd you go? I said it would be a miracle if I got six and I got five. Uh, You did. (laughs) And I thought you were going to claw one back on me, but I actually gained one on you. No, I have myself to blame for this as well. Bloody Saturday curse struck again. Yeah, big time. Two out of five on Saturday, three out of four the other days. I had tipped Geelong all the way up to about two minutes before bounce down and something moronic in my head said, West Coast are going to win this. Oh, Shuey, it really was moronic because Josh Kennedy wasn't playing, among others, Luke Shuey, and they've only won once there in 20 years. Yeah, but just, just I, something When you're a fan, and I know. The, and the, I first, know. the first 15 minutes of that game, we looked good. There were just a couple of really crucial mistakes at inopportune times that sort of stopped us putting a bit more distance between us and the Cats. But anyway. It's funny to say that. It was a funny weekend like that because Richmond started well, they lost. GWS started well, they lost. So there were a lot of teams that started well, but just couldn't hold on. Yeah. So, yeah, we had that. We had Adelaide started well. They lost. Yeah, well, them too. Yeah, exactly. I, I, yeah. I picked Adelaide to beat Hawthorne and unfortunately they lost. You were lucky to I was. keep that. Keep I was. I, I intended it. on changing the tip and forgot to, but it actually worked out for me in the end. So my gut feeling was correct. Yep. So it's been all sixes and sevens for me. I've had three sevens and three sixes thus far. Yeah, so unfortunately not a great weekend. Mm. 
Great weekend for crowds, though. The Anzac crowd of 78,113 was the biggest sporting crowd in the entire world since the pandemic. So Australia has done well in that regard. It's good to hear that that's the biggest crowd as well because no one else should have been having them. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe New Zealand. So I guess following on from the tips, we've got two teams that are 6-0. and oh. The only other times in VFL, AFL history that there have been two undefeated teams with a 6-0 and oh record and a percentage of over 150 every time they've made the grand final. So in 1952, Collingwood and Geelong, 2009, Geelong and St Kilda, 2011, Collingwood and Geelong. So going on that form, it will be a D's and Dogs grand final, as we kind of speculated last week. Well, going on that, Geelong should be in the grand final. That well, <laughs> that's another trend, but, <laughs> but they certainly haven't started 6-0. and How do you feel the state of play is going, Stewie, after six rounds? Well, I think you can firmly put a line through 12 teams as far as premiership chances. And even then... Maybe more. Realistically, yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, you've got the three teams on one level, which is your Western Bulldogs, Melbourne and Port. You've got Geelong, Brisbane and Richmond, probably the rung below them. And now, look, if you want to look at those three teams that are that rung below, Richmond, they've looked decidedly average. Dusty, yeah. Yeah, Dusty Martin's going to miss at least one week with yeah. a concussion. Prestia's already out. Vloston's still out. They've got a few blocks out. They've got a huge four weeks coming up. Starting with the dogs this weekend. Yep. So the dogs on Friday night, they've got Geelong the following Friday night at the G, GWS at Marvel, and then Brisbane at the Gabba. That's a really scary four. Well, Brisbane have started to come back into form too. Yeah. No, we'll really know about Richmond. I'm very reluctant to rule a line through them just yet. I'm reluctant to make anything too bold only six weeks in anyway, because we don't know what the injury list will look like. Oh, it is fun. No, no, it is fun. It is. It is. But based on their history, having won three of the last four, it's very hard to rule a line through Richmond at this stage. And even if they finished eighth, I would give them a chance because they have the pedigree. They have the experience, you know. Look, they've got a few toughies after that as well. I mean, they've got to fly to Perth to play both West Coast and Fremantle. And we know how much of a fortress it has been in Perth. For both teams, yeah. For both teams. So, yeah, I think realistically, if they want to get their three peak, they're going to have to do it from fifth. Now, looking at Geelong, obviously they had a, a really, really great win over the weekend. Yeah, without Paddy. Big Absolutely win. demolished West Coast to the point where I turned it off. Hmm. But I honestly believe Geelong's season could come down to two little stretches. So they've got a three-week stretch where they've got Port Adelaide away, the Bulldogs at home, and Brisbane away. Then they've got two weeks, and then they have Fremantle away and Richmond at the G. And you know that Brisbane will want some revenge on that prelim game too from Absolutely. last season. Uh, I think so, yeah. Those yeah. two stretches are going to tell us a lot about this side. Mm. And then Brisbane, I'm not sure about. They, they haven't beaten anyone of note yet. So they've beaten Collingwood, Essendon, and Carlton, who really haven't achieved much this no, season. No, well, they're, they're, it's very unlikely any of those teams will be in the finals. Now, Lockie Neal's out for the next eight weeks. Yes, big. With an ankle injury. The only hope for them is the fact they've got the last four games of the season at home, but they've got a really tough run coming up. They've got Port at home and Freo away in the next fortnight. Mm. It's conceivable they come out of those two, three, and five. Yeah, yep. And, and I guess just quickly talking about Lockie Neal, what are your thoughts on his little umpire touch? Yeah, it's really interesting. Damian Barrett was really bullish on this today. Like He was like, he should absolutely be suspended. There's no room for it at all. It wasn't aggressive, was it? I actually I agree with Damien Barrett here. I, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, firstly, I think there does need to be a cut and dry rule, basically. You touch the umpires, it's an automatic suspension. Oh, if it's zero tolerance, then great, fair enough. There absolutely needs to be. Yeah. In this instance, though, the other thing that I think goes against him is the fact that it's a backhand. He's, he's hit him basically with a backhand. 
as opposed to gently putting his hand on the guy's shoulder. Yeah. I understand he's frustrated. He's just been kneed in the head. He's bleeding. Well, and that's, to play devil's advocate, that's on the other side. Because a lot of blokes don't admit, they, they try to hide the blood from the umpire. They want to stay on the field. So he was trying to do the right thing. I'm not sure you could have hidden it. You know how- No, you can't how, stay on how, the field with that much. How pasty white was <laughs> that, would have, that shows up. But- Garth Marenghi's dark place. Blood. Blood. That's a really obscure reference. That is. I, I know one friend that listens to this that will have a laugh about that. But if enough. he's the only one, that's fine with me. But no, as I say, I, I just think there needs to be a zero tolerance to go back to what you're saying. It is. It's just not acceptable. This is not a game where we touch the umpires, where we make any contact with them. It needs to be cut and dry. And, and I do think, even if it's a, a hefty fine, there needs to be some sort of repercussion for this. I, but I honestly do think, if we want to be serious about it, a week. Yeah, yeah, no. If I'm, I'm, I'm fine with zero tolerance. It's probably better than allowing areas of grace. So, in the act of non-aggressive umpire touching, carte blanche one week, probably fair. And then obviously it ramps up. You know, Reese Jones headbutt <laughs> a yeah, little bit more. Probably, probably two. <laughs> it's so weird though because in the NBL, players touch the refs all the time. I saw in a game against Melbourne United earlier this season. Scotty Hobson slapped one of them on the ass because you know in basketball everyone slaps each other on the ass. It's an automatic ejection in the NBA. Like yeah, it's just so weird to see it in the NBL. Yeah, mm. yeah. Now, I guess looking at some of the other teams that were in contention at the start of it, I mean, look, the Eagles are absolutely done for me. Combination of injuries and attitude. Shannon Hearn will be back in a week, which is pretty huge, but Liam Ryan's still six to eight weeks away. Yep. Shuey and Elliot Yo are both listed as TBC for their return. Yep. There's a lot of people finally getting on this bandwagon of mine about the lack of effort from players like Andrew Gaff. Nick Natanui was another one that was highlighted. The only side that has lost a game by more than the Eagles in a season and still won a premiership, Carlton in 1945. Wow. Lost by 100 points to Essendon and still won the grand final. I I don't think you can have the road woes that they've had and expect to be a genuine contender. Well, they can't because they're going to end up down towards sixth or seventh if they make it. Yeah. Yeah, I think and they even lost a home to Collingwood last finals. Yep. They couldn't even win at home in the finals last year. Exactly. Yeah, it's not not looking good for them. The Swans and Crows, I think the last fortnight's kind of shown us a little bit more of a, a realistic expectation. Oh, yeah, not a surprise at all. I mean, a lot of the Swans' young players were actually omitted, like McDonald, Campbell. I, I suspect that it was maybe just managing them because mm-hmm. they're so young. Gonna, I, I suspect the Swans will be better than Adelaide. Yeah, they're, gonna, they're both going to be really good teams. Yeah, I think the Swans will still make the finals, but they're not premiership contenders. They're just not no. there yet. You'd be happy with a win in a final to really give them hunger for next season. If, I'd call that a you know, if success. If anything, Fremantle's probably the other potential contender. Dude, Frio's a form team. And I'll tell you what, I reckon Mundy might be leading the Brownlow at the moment. He's leading the AFL Coaches Association Award. I was I mentioned in our chat, I'd love to see his Brownlow stats. And then sure enough, the AFL Coaches Award numbers came out. They're gone all right. The crazy thing about this, so they're third in the league in contested possession differential, which is great. But aside from that, if you look at all the basic stats like possessions and marks, they're third in marks inside 50, seventh in contested marks and inside 50s. But aside from that, they're below middle of the pack. Mm. So again, they're doing things without worrying about all the stats. And when you take into account the fact that they've kicked more behinds than any other team. Yeah, they're yeah. And they're the second most inaccurate team in the league, literally 0.04% behind North Melbourne. And Nat Five has kicked one goal 12 this year. Yeah, it's crazy. If he could kick straight, it'd be the best player in the competition. The fact that they're four and two says how good a team they are. And like West Coast... You'd have to think that they are almost favourites for the Derby, given given the West Coast injuries. Yeah, I'd love to see the the odds actually for that. They just have to be more consistent on the road. That's basically it. 
Now, look, I know it's early. You've mentioned you don't like to do this, this sort of thing six rounds in. I think we've got three runaway favourites for this premiership. Oh, we do at the moment. Yeah, no, no, we do. We do. And there's a lot of water to go under the bridge and injuries will always play a part as they do and as they already have. But absolutely, there's three teams head and shoulders above the rest at the moment. Richmond is that real wild card. And going back to that Adelaide-Hawthorne game as we put a bow on the AFL this week, Shuey, you almost wonder if they lost because they misused their sub. Tom Lynch? This is unbelievable. Anyone that missed this... Adelaide have said they were planning on injecting Tom Lynch into the game early in the fourth quarter. Will Hamill came off with a leg injury with three minutes left in the third quarter, though. They basically used up about seven minutes of actual game time with him warming up. Yeah, he wasn't strapped and warmed up. In a game they lost by three points. Yeah, that they were winning prior to, yeah, not good. But the the whole point of this that, that, that makes this so stupid is what happens if there's an injury in the first minute of the game? Yeah. And he's not even got his boots on? Yeah. Like, you'd never see a number three batsman sitting in the shed's start of play in his, in his warm-up. Yeah, well, that's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll come in towards the end of the day, don't <laughs> worry. Because you don't know what's going to happen. Like, this yeah. is Bush League stuff from yeah, a professional yeah, side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I dare say this probably played a fairly decent part in them losing that game. Matty Nix has come out and said that it wasn't the reason they lost. But, geez, I'll tell you what, in a season when no one had any expectations on them and they could have had another win on the board to really stick it up the naysayers, that's a big misstep. It is. And especially, they, I mean, they were leading the game by, what, 30 points or something? Yeah, stage. yeah. So yeah. it's a big lead to give up. And something like this is just, yeah. It's, inexcusable. It's embarrassing. It's unprofessional. As you say, inexcusable is a great word. All, all three of those words are great. And now, this week in sport history. April 27th. Well, it's 27th here in Australia. It was April 26, 2008. Hey, all right. We've changed the rules on this week. We'll it's take liberties, before. it's fine. This well, we this have before, so we've, we'll move the goalposts again. This is a again. great story. Oh, we have to talk about this. So as some of you may remember when we talked about last week, the Lou Gehrig story about him running the bases, I brought up this case of this college softball game where a girl unfortunately got injured and the opposition or two members of the opposition lifted her up and pulled her around the bases, and they actually lost the game as a result of it. Now, what I didn't realise was that actually we could have used it in this week in sport last week because it happened on the 26th of April in 2008. So this story is even crazier than I remember, and I do remember seeing it on SportsCenter the day it happened, which is why I brought it up last week. But Sarah Tukolsky playing for Western Oregon against Central Washington was the girl in question. And she actually, it was her first home run in her entire life. We're talking high school. We're talking peewees ever. I mean, she's five foot two. She's tiny. Well, that's a difficult strike zone for the uh, pitcher. But after rounding first base, she tore a ligament in her knee and couldn't move. Now, the rule in softball is that if any of her teammates or coaches had assisted her, then she'd be declared out. And if a pinch hit runner was substitute for her, it would only be a single. It wouldn't be a home run. But what happened was Mallory Holtman and Liz Wallace from Central Washington, as I mentioned, picked her up, carried around the bases, allowing her to put her foot on each base as she rounded it. So she actually touched them and then touched home plate. And as I mentioned last week, it meant that they lost the game. So it's just a crazy story as it is. But the fact that it was her first home run is even crazier. And then what's even crazier again, in a match between Florida Southern and Eckerd, six years later to the very day, it happened again with another player being injured and being carried around the bases. So I actually watched the footage on this. I must admit, I, I'm not a crier, but I, I actually started tearing up. This was such a spectacular show of sportsmanship. And as somebody who has two young girls myself, I really hope that 
they can be that sort of person in life. And I actually- It's super moving. They, they went on Ellen, funnily enough. And Ellen actually sent them on this amazing holiday to a beautiful resort in Florida, rented them a 100-foot yacht for a private dinner. It was just spectacular. So, yes, we did stretch the rules of This Week in Sport a little bit. But once we realised that it was a follow-on from last week, we couldn't not mention it. April 27th, 1930, Chicago White Sox first baseman Bud Clancy did something that had never been done in the history of baseball and has only actually happened three more times since then when he didn't handle the ball for any kind of out in a full nine-inning match versus the St. Louis Browns. This might not seem like a big deal, but a guy named Chris Ford who runs a website called All My Sport Teams Suck, (laughs) he actually recorded the stats for every single out between 1952 and 2016. Wow. And in that time, the first baseman accounted for over 34% of all outs, whether that be catches, ground outs, finishing double plays, etc. So to not handle a single out in that game is just insane. To make it even better, though, the game-winning run was actually an RBI single hit by none other than... Of course. Bud Clancy. Nice. Uh, you got to love fans to look at stats. There's actually someone, there's a cricket historian who's put into question whether or not Bradman actually did average over 100 or not because there's speculation that four runs were not attributed to him when they should have been. So that might be one we return to as well. April 27th, 1956, undefeated world heavyweight boxing champion Rocky Marciano retires. Marciano, the loose inspiration for the character Rocky Balboa and the Rocky movies, is the only heavyweight champion in the history of boxing to retire undefeated with a record of 49 and nil and 43 wins by knockout. He's the only boxer to have stopped every single opponent he faced for the world championship, as well as the equal highest knockout to win ratio in world heavyweight title fights at 85.7, a accolade he shares with Joe Lewis. He was tragically killed at just 45 years of age when an inexperienced pilot flying Marciano to Des Moines, Iowa, crashed their plane into a tree just two miles short of the runway. April 28, 1965, the Nine Mets broadcaster, Lindsay <laughs> Nelson, delivers the broadcast for their game against the Houston Astros from a gondola hanging 208 feet above second base at the Astrodome. Ugh. It's not the sort of gondola you're thinking. It's not one of these like Italian boats with a, a man dressed in a dark blue and white striped suit <laughs> singing as you cruise under the Rialto Bridge. What it, <laughs> what it actually is, though, it's a circular walkway that's used for installing sound systems and lighting, so it's nowhere near as funny. Anyway, when Nelson's producer, Joe Gallagher, saw the gondola, he asked if it could be used. And when he was told it was possible, after about 45 minutes of them lowering this thing, they've basically jumped on there, took them four minutes to get back up. So pretty quick uh, ascension. Not a great angle to see the play, though. Apparently, he was saying that ground balls look like fly balls and he he couldn't tell anything. Oh, well, of course. It's it's a mad spot to be broadcasting from, isn't it? Even madder, though, it was actually ruled that if the ball had hit them, it would have been basically like the roof. It would have been in play. So they would have actually had a ground rule off them if they'd been hit. Fair enough. So they could have actually been part of an out that night. Mm. The Astros won the game (laughs) 12-9. May 3rd, 1978, in what had been a spiteful series, the West Indies defeated Australia 3-1 after the fifth test in Kingston is called off due to riots. Now, the Windies were absolutely done in that fifth test. Australia needed just one wicket, while the Windies needed 111 runs for victory. Van Benholder had just been given out and appeared to remonstrate with the umpire over the decision, and the crowd lost their minds hurling rocks and bottles and even a 44-gallon drum of rubbish that had been set on fire and sent onto the pitch. The riot squad were brought in to help the players off the pitch and then shot tear gas and blank rounds to disperse the fans and the match was called off. 
Thankfully, it didn't cost the team a series win. Now, this one's actually been documented in Austin Robertson's recent cricket book. And in that account, I think Ian Chappell wrote that one. He actually mentions live rounds being fired. Well, the police said that they were. Yeah. They weren't live. But yeah, I... but in that book, live rounds are discussed. Well, so, yeah, it's pretty know. freaky. Yeah, mm. yeah. Interesting book. Definitely recommend it. This week in sport history. So an exciting signing in the NBL, Shui, for the Adelaide 36ers, who, by the way, recently had the youngest ever Aussie to get a triple-double in Josh Giddy. Well, they're going to lose him very quickly. So Yeah, well, he's projected at 11 now in the draft. Yeah, to Washington. And, and the guy they've signed could very well be drafted one day too. Yeah, Kay Soto. He's a seven foot two Filipino-born player. Really, really cool addition, though. I mean, if... The, the thing I like about this is because he's born in Asia, they can actually sign him as a local player. Yeah, yeah, because so, of the fever. Yep. Yeah, so they don't have to worry about taking up a, a roster spot for an import. An import. Yep. But what I love about this guy, so he's seven foot two, as I've already mentioned. He's got really good range. He's Look, he's not athletic, but he's got really, really great vision. He sees out of double teams amazingly for someone of his age. Oh, the highlights are amazing. He's a great passer. He's not ridiculously unathletic he'll throw it down yeah but, yeah. He's, but he's seven foot two like, yeah yeah oh yeah sure but he, he's not like his movement looks fluid as a seven foot two player he doesn't look you know what i mean awkward yeah, he they've, doesn't look awkward. they've actually said that his jump shot's one of the most fluid funnily enough yeah I've, i was amazed at the highlights they look really good so i think the idea of having a three-pronged big man attack with daniel johnson and isaac humphreys if he does come back that gives a really, really, probably one of the scariest front courts you'll ever see in the NBA. Well, the, tr- the true test is, so the highlights look great against lesser players yeah. and they look great in the Filipino league. The true test is playing against men. He will, he'll bulk up. He's not particularly big, but he will bulk up. And, you know, he is, yeah, he's potentially one of these really scary guys that could you know, very easily dominate. Well, he'll basically be the NBL's answer to Chris Stapp's Porzingis with any luck, huh? Well, hopefully not. He's got a similar skill set. Chris Stapps has been injured about well, 20, yes, hopefully, 20 yeah. times in the Hopefully last he's year. not made a class. But no, one of the, the things I love about him, he's got an amazing pass fake. A number of times I've seen him do that. Over the head. Over the head yeah. thing and rip it back and then shoot a little jump shot. Don't be surprised if we see that a couple of times in the league. So oh, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm very excited to see how Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, hopeful. Very hopeful. Now, the charges against Mitch Creek have been dropped. We won't dwell on that too far, but given we've talked about it previously, we felt like we probably should... Just tie that one yeah, off, yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, it's obviously good news for Mitch, but yeah. that's about Who it. Who knows the truth? We won't, we won't go into those waters. Uh, the, the cool stat I've got here for the NBL is it's the first time ever in any season that every single team has played in an overtime game, and there's still more than a month left. Wow. So there you go. Thanks again, NBL Facts. Now, hopefully, time allowing next week, we'll do a little bit of a rundown in the sort of the month before the playoffs. Yes. Yeah, we'll give basketball a bit more attention uh, next week. Yeah. Now, I don't know how many times I've said this on our show in recent weeks, but the Knicks have been one of the most enjoyable surprises in recent memory in the NBA. They have been fairly irrelevant since about 2013. They've literally won one playoff series since 2000. Mm. But the Knicks, are, they're in a dogfight with the Hawks for home court advantage. The longest win streak in the league was snapped today at nine. Yeah, by Phoenix. Bit of yep. a, a tough game there. That's the first time they've done that since 2013. So I wanted to just quickly look at this and say, how much of this is Julius Randle? Now, obviously, Thibodeau is going to get a ton of credit for this. It's between him and Monty Williams for coach of the year right now. He's got the Knicks holding teams to the lowest average points per game in the league. They've got the third best defensive rating. And this is a team that was 22nd last season. Oh, yeah. It's a two-horse race, definitely, Absolutely. for coach of the year. Definitely. But really, if you're looking at the on-court stuff, 
a lot of this does have to come down to Julius Randle. And he's living up to the potential that many thought he had in New Orleans. You know, some people were balking at max money, but geez, he's, he's playing very, very well indeed. So when you look at the team that they've put together, it's kind of a bit of a team of misfits. There's, there's a lot of players that have kind of been pushed around the league. I look at someone like Nerlens Noel or a Derek Rose. Yeah, he starts for them. Yeah. yeah, he was nearly out of the league a year or two ago, Noel. And he's been superb. But if you look at his stats this season, 24 points a game, 10 and a half rebounds, and probably just as impressively, he's averaging six assists a game. He's never had more than 3.6 in his career. He's actually averaging more assists this season than Steph Curry. Yeah, wow. Which I thought yeah. was crazy. <laughs> and he's shooting 41% from three. He's never been more than about 32, I think it was. He's over 80% from the free throw line for the first time in his entire career. And he's only missed one game all season. So yeah, he's playing amazingly in the clutch. He's making right decisions. He's, he's playing to his strengths. If you look at last season's All-NBA teams, Pascal Siakam was a second-team player with inferior numbers to that. He had probably three points less, three rebounds less. Well, he played on a team that finished very high, of course. Yep. A team with a very good record. But the Knicks are... Well, well they, they, they won't be the number one seed. But they're overachieving massively. Yeah. Hey, some people are saying he's a shortlist for MVP. He might appear on some ballots. Oh, I, I know, care. but for, as far as MVP races are concerned, can you ever remember a season in your entire lifetime when there's been that many people that have a somewhat legitimate claim to the title? Not once, no. Yeah, it's nuts. There's so many players that could make at least some claim. Look, I would have Giannis and probably Zion as your first team forwards. Now, Zion, Hard to argue with that. Zion's team hasn't been great, but... The numbers he's putting up are absolutely absurd. And if you count Luka Doncic as a guard, which you probably have to now, I think you can squeeze Randall onto the second team with Jason Tatum and then LeBron and Kawhi Leonard, assuming LeBron plays enough games. Maybe yeah, well, that's and that's why some of those big names will maybe get squeezed down because mm. of the games played, yeah. So, I mean, do you agree with that? Disagree? What are your thoughts? Oh, I, I think you can make a very, very solid case. Like you said, he's only missed one game, Randall. And Williamson is playing out of his skin. So, yeah, I think you could make a, a solid case. Mm. Oh, I just am so impressed. You know, we were sort of talking at the start of the season about who is your league pass team. And I'll tell you what, the Knicks are very, very fun to watch. Yeah, well, I, I nearly watched the Knicks-Nets game last night. I watched a more recent Suns-Nets game instead from yesterday. So, But I do need to watch the Knicks game soon, definitely. I guess while we're there, just a couple of quick observations from that game. DeAndre Ayton, do you know who he kind of makes me think of? If Greg Oden wasn't injury prone. He even looks a bit like him with the facial hair and stuff. Yeah, a little bit. They're not identical by any stretch of the imagination. They but could two be, big guys. Yeah, they could be like, right. Yeah, that's that's exactly. They could be brothers. One's the injured one and one's the one. I don't know. I can just see some similarities there. And speaking of the MVP race, Chris Paul. Chris Paul, yeah. Hats off to him. This season has improved his legacy so much. Not that he needed his legacy improving by any stretch of the imagination. I've never been a massive fan of his, I'll be honest. I've always thought he was a bit of a dirty player. He's punched guys in the balls a couple of times over the years. But there is no denying how good he is, and there's no denying the influence he has on that team. And they could legitimately make the Western Conference Finals. I wouldn't be surprised by that. Well, with the Lakers looking, how's this? I heard on First Take yesterday, the Basketball Power Index only gives the Lakers a 10% chance of winning the title this year. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Ah, there's there's a lot of teams out there that could... Well, they've got a lot of injuries. So. Yeah, yep. yeah. Man, I guess, Chewie, just quickly speaking of MVP candidates once again, that full-court attempt from Joel Embiid has been described as the best miss in the history of the NBA. 
off, it off, just, a, off a rare missed free throw by oh, Chris Paul, funnily enough. Yeah, well, good point. Good point. He just heaved it up there. And if he'd tried to replicate that a thousand times, he probably wouldn't have got that close. I don't even know if he hit the ring once. Yeah, but no, yeah. that was halfway down now. Uh, it was an unbelievable attempt. Oh, would have forced overtime too. That would have been amazing. Yeah. Now, you've got random stats. I won't duel with you uh, on the banjos like some weeks. So I'll let you fire away on this. Smash through these. So the Minnesota Timberwolves have the second worst record in the West at 18 and 44. They've now beaten the Utah Jazz twice in Utah this season. The rest of the league combined has done it twice. Yeah. And they beat Utah at home today too. So that's three wins against the best team in the league. Only Phoenix and Washington have multiple wins against Utah this season. Yeah, it's funny teams, bogey teams. Eh? Yep. Yep. Speaking of the Timberwolves, Anthony Edwards has 13 25-plus point games this season. Every other teenager in Minnesota's history has 12 combined. Wow. So he's doing very yeah, well. Yeah, KG played as a teen, for example. He there. did. Yeah, okay. Zion Williamson could miss his next 216 shots and still be above 50% from the field. <laughs> I love that stuff. That's how efficient he's been. That's fantastic. Russell Westbrook has... This one, oh, yeah, This yeah. one hurts me because oh, I was yeah. so far off. Yeah. He has 12 triple-doubles in his last 15 games and 15 games this month, breaking Wilt Chamberlain's record for the most in a single month by one. The Wizards are 10-5 and five in those games, which is part of the reason that they're back in the playoff hunt. Yeah. He's also got 18 in his last 23 games going back to the 18th of March, and he's just six back from Oscar Robertson. Guess he might be getting there after all. Yeah, I think that's pretty safe yeah. to say, Shui, I'm afraid. That's all right. Ja Morant had his fourth 30-point, 10-assist game of the season this week. No other player in Grizzlies history has more than two total. Yeah, okay. With Mike Conley. Mike Conley would, would be the one I would that, guess, yeah. 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 Or Blue Edwards. Uh, <laughs> probably not. Uh, Michael Dickerson, no. Nah. Bryant, big country Reeves. Yeah, okay. No, let's just throw a random. Sharif Abdurrahim. Stramile Swift. No. <laughs> On Saturday, Giannis Antetokounmpo had 24 points, 14 rebounds, and seven assists against the 76ers in just 24 minutes of playing time. The last player to have at least those numbers in 24 minutes was Fat Lever for the Denver Nuggets against Orlando on the 11th of January, 1991. Mm. Todd Lichty actually had 18 points in that game for Denver as well. Mm. Mm. Well, hey, if he hadn't got injured, he might have had a very good NBA career. Mm-hmm. And the last one, the Hawks are 20-8 and eight under Nate McMillan, so obviously he is making a bit of a difference. But Bogdan Bogdanovich has the second most three-pointers in the league since February behind, obviously, Steph Curry. Yes. Who, by the way, broke James Harden's record for the most threes in a month with 85, and he still has two games left. Wow. So he could get to 100. Well, with a couple of good games, he could. Mm -hmm. All right, Stuart, you know what that music means. What are you at for? Well, I feel like the Western Derby this weekend is going to be an absolute cracker. I dare say a loss might end the West Coast Eagles' chances this Ooh, year. Oh, okay. But I'm even more amped for Richmond and the Western Bulldogs at the G on Friday. Will the Western Bulldogs keep their streak going, or will Richmond send a bit of a statement to the rest of the league? Richmond in the game of the round, two rounds in a row. And Melbourne United and Sydney Kings on Sunday should be a cracker. Come on, the Kings. How about yourself, mate? Well, I'm very looking forward to that Richmond Doggies game as well. And I'd like to watch a bit of IPL this week. I'm going to set aside some time to watch some IPL. So that's what I'll be doing. Until next time, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.